America's 1998 World Cup was over. And Marcelo Balboa, that meaty, mulleted, six-foot-one big unit of a defender, US Soccer Athlete of the Year twice over, a man with over 100 international appearances, had played just 13 minutes in the entire tournament. The final 30 minutes of the final dead rubber game. To be told that uh, you're going to be on the World Cup team, but you're not going to play. It, I tell you what, it, it, you can see, emotional, but it, it killed me. Killed me. You know, did I wake up at night? No, I wouldn't sleep at night. I, was, I wouldn't sleep at night because I was so angry that I didn't get to play. I was so angry at that time. I'd rather have not played those 13 minutes than to have been given a courtesy 12 minutes in a game. Do you have any idea how insane it is to give just 13 minutes of play? Not even real play, but token gesture, patronizing, throwaway play to a guy like Marcelo Balboa. It's madness, and it very nearly broke the man. I like closure. I like closure. I like knowing why I fucked up. I like knowing what I did wrong so I can fix it. And uh, I couldn't figure out what I did wrong in 98 from a soccer aspect of what I do wrong in 97, 98 to not deserve to play. What did I do to piss off Steve Sampson? What did I say to piss off Steve Sampson to have a personal thing against me, to not even consider me as a player, to be on the starting 11? And then one day, not long after he'd returned home from France, I got a letter. It was from Steve Sampson a letter that I did not open for almost two and a half years. It just sat in my drawer. I didn't want to open it. I didn't want anything to do with it. What did the letter say, Marcelo? I just remember the quote that said, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I just kind of sat there going, okay, so you're, you're, this is the way you apologize? What did it feel to read that letter? I never got closure. I never got told what wasn't good enough about my game. He inserted madness to everybody's life, not just me. I think he did it to Lexi, and, uh, and I think he did that to a lot of guys. I think that at that time, like I said, now, now not a big deal, but at the time, you know what, I, I go back and I just say, he screwed mentally with me like no other coach has ever done to me. Did you ever write a letter back to Steve Simpson? No. If you were going to write a letter back, what would you say? <laughs> I think I would have just wrote why. That's it, just a why, why. How many letters did you write, Steve? Oh, oh very many few. Very few. I only wrote a letter to Marcelo Balboa. I didn't write to anybody else. He said there was a phrase in it. He said, with 2020 hindsight, you would have done something different with it. Yes. What would you have done differently? 2020 hindsight, I, I should have found a way to get him on that field because I think his experience and his veteranship would have affected the team in a very positive way. To this day, I feel badly that Marcelo Balboa didn't play more than what he did. This is American Fiasco.
This is American Fiasco, a show about people who communicated their feelings in writing in the days before emojis were a thing. I'm Roger Bennett. US coach Steve Sampson, he was smart enough to know that he was only as good as his last win. And he hadn't won jack at the World Cup. So it wasn't a question of if he'd be whacked, but rather of when. Hank Steinbrecher, Secretary General of the US Soccer Federation. Did you speak to Steve after the game? Yeah, of course. What did he say? I was devastated. And there are times when you, you hit hard, and there are times where you hug. And uh, at that time, we just needed a couple of hugs. We'll face the realities in a little while, but right now you just let it sink. You're the, the last team uh, in the World Cup, 32 of 32 teams. Some things have to change. I can only think of like the Godfather where they put Frido on the boat and go fishing. <laughs> I don't think it was quite as bad as that. <laughs> a day after the loss to Yugoslavia, Steve told the Washington Post he wanted to remain head coach and that he wouldn't let a few disgruntled players dictate his future. But things changed quickly. After his boss, US Soccer Federation President Alan Rothenberg, invited him to breakfast in Paris. Ominously, that breakfast was first thing Monday morning. I offered my resignation because, one, I felt it was the right thing to do because I had lost three games in a world championship. And I didn't want Alan to feel as if he needed to fire me. And before he could get it out of his mouth, I offered to him to resign from the national team. You told the media this was not Steve's fault, this was not the player's fault. They played their hearts out. You're a very diplomatic man, Alan. But what were you really thinking at that moment? Bitterly disappointed. Uh, I really, really was. Uh, And deep down, uh, I guess, uh, upset. Right or wrong, I I was second-guessing myself about the decision to keep Steve. It was sort of like all the fears that I had all along have just been realized. So were you angry at yourself? I wouldn't say angry, but I, you know, my moment of reflection was, you know, this is what I was afraid of. Your worst case scenario had come true. Yes. Now, I interviewed nearly two dozen people for this story. And I only met one who felt anything even near elation after the 1998 World Cup was done. Can you guess who that is? I'm fine with that. That we lost? Fuck, that sucks. I'm mad. Sorry, I'm cussing so much, guys. Frankie Hayduck. Even though as a team we had, you know, we were last place, for me it wasn't a bad cut. God, you've got to understand, his defeated teammates, they are burning their jerseys, smashing beer bottles, railing at the heavens about which gods they must have offended to be laid so low. And this guy, he's just smiling. I was just happy-go-lucky Frankie. And that's how it just was throughout the whole thing. And so that moment was, for me, it was perfect. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm fine, guys. What are you guys complaining about? You guys are the ones that freaking caused this whole thing. And you're, you know, you, if you're, if you're getting mad at me signing a contract, come on. Oh, it wasn't just Frankie's innate ability to make lemonade out of lemons that got him through. 
It was a job offer he got the night after the Yugoslavia game. Right after dinner, I got a phone call from my agent who, who, who was at the hotel and um, Bayer Leverkusen. Just explain who they are. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen, I would say, is probably one of the top five German teams. Uh, I don't know about all time, but over the last 25, 30 years, they've been pretty much in the top five, top eight in, in, in the Bundesliga. And uh, I ended up signing the contract that night pretty much, I think. You know, I was making, <laughs> I was making 30 grand in the MLS a year. And, you know, I was been offering, you know, 1.3, 1.4 million. So it, it was, it was a no, it was a no So just to be clear on this, you, you, the, everyone is going mad. Like players are popping off. Players are self-destructing. Players are burning down. You're like, I'm doing great guy. It, like, how did that, you were like at a wedding. Everybody else was at a funeral. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how that works out. Right. Like. So like it was such a bad thing for so many people, and for me it was <laughs> it ended up changing my life in probably the best way ever. Because I wouldn't be fishing, I wouldn't be hitting golf balls off my back deck, and all out of failure, right? all out of all that. That's your failure. Yeah, no, really, that's crazy. Yeah, if you think about it, yeah, and I never thought about it that way. Hayduck is now the local icon for his major league soccer team in Columbus, Ohio. It's landlocked, nowhere near the ocean but he still surfs when he can on a local lake. Press officer Jim Frostlid, he left France with a slightly sour memory that he's never been able to shrug off. The dumpsters, the garbage cans were overflowing with suits that were just like complete disrespect for what they were given. These were fancy clothes given to the players by a proud US Soccer Federation back in more optimistic days. Navy blue blazers, all tailored with the US national team crest sewn on the breast pocket. They were meant to be worn proudly on game day before the players changed to go on the field. But instead, the team trashed them. And it's, it's almost like the, to me, like the American flag. You know, that, that, that was showing you were a US national team player. And you decide to throw it away? I just, it was, the mood was so bad. Jim Frost had stayed in the game of football. He's just decided to avoid all football players. These days, he works in the world of artificial turf. Alexi Lalas, he never represented the United States again. He played out his career in MLS, then tried his hand at being a general manager, finishing with the LA Galaxy. Still, Lalas remains a familiar face of US soccer to this day. He's Fox Sports' lead broadcaster for the World Cup in Russia. Lalas has also found time to keep recording the hits. His new album, Sunshine, it just came out. John Hawks, the captain for Not Quite Life, retired from MLS in 2003 became an analyst for television and radio. This year, Eric Winalda, he mounted an outsider campaign to become president of US soccer, and he attracted a lot of attention. But ultimately, not a lot of votes. David Regi became the general manager of the national team in his native Martinique. 
still dreams of coaching in America one day. You do know that the US men's national team needs a head coach, David. <laughs> yeah, I heard that, and it's a dream that I would like to touch before leaving this earth. You and Agus, again. Vous et Agus à nouveau. Oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> You might recall, Steve Sampson started Régie, not a goose in the 1998 World Cup. A goose spent his entire time in France on the bench. But he got his revenge in 2002. Régie was actually the man he beat out for the starting lineup. Maybe karma does exist after all. A goose played for 10 seasons in Major League Soccer and then transitioned into a front office role. He's now a senior vice president for the league. Cause of improving the game in the United States. We are in the inner sanctum. <laughs> We're in the Jeff A. Goose office. This is where all of uh, the coaches and GMs will call me on a Monday, uh, describing the pain they've undergone with either poor officiating or poor discipline. Or both. <laughs> or both, yes. And I'm looking at an incredibly clean desk. Clean desk, clean mind. Next to a picture of his children, there's a framed photo of that notorious red card he got playing against Mexico in 1997. I have it up to remind me that you can control things about yourself, but you can't control what other people do. And the only thing you can do is control what you can. And I don't believe it was a red card, but that doesn't matter. It was a red card. And I hurt my team, and there were ramifications because of the red card, professionally and personally. Which brings us back to Steve Sampson. A gent who's almost lived his career in reverse, front-loading the big dream job before drifting back towards the roots of the game. After France, Sampson went on to coach the Costa Rican national team and then spent some time at the club level coaching the Los Angeles Galaxy. Today, Steve is head coach at the California Polytechnic State University. So this is the jersey that was worn in the FIFA World Cup in France 1998. Uh, this was presented to me uh, prior to the tournament beginning. We're in um, Steve Sampson's modest and office. To be honest, and he's showing us the jerseys that hang on his wall. One in particular has a place of honor. But uh, red short sleeve jersey signed by all the players that participated in the World Cup in France. Uh, again, very proud to have had the opportunity to coach these men. Does it not conjure even a hint, a hint of a dark memory of challenged times when your eyes look at it? Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, it's, it's like I've told people I've experienced the highs of highs and the lows of lows, and, and it's all part of the journey. That jersey represents to me the entire lead-up, the qualification phase, all the great moments that we had over the years leading up uh, to the World Cup. And yes, of course, it, it conjures up some disappointment of, of not achieving what we set out to do. But, you know, in the end, uh, an enormous amount of pride. Even in the darkness, Steve. And I'm going to be honest, Steve, you have endured more than most, more than most managers that I have engaged with, despite the darkness. Is that 1998 World Cup, is it still a, a life high point? The 1998 World Cup isn't just, in, it wasn't just about those three weeks in France. Um, it was about probably a period of time that was 
one of the most dramatic, important moments in, in U.S. soccer history. And to have been a part of that um, was a great honor and a great privilege. I don't, I don't dismiss my responsibilities at all or my share in the responsibilities. But I think that all of us, you know, everybody should share in the responsibility. Do you ever but have... I think there were factors that, that unfortunately didn't give us our very best chance of being successful. And that's what has made me angry over the years. That's what has made me disappointed over the years. The what ifs. Do they haunt you in your dreams? Do they haunt me in my dreams? Yeah, every, to be honest, every once in a while, yes. Yeah, I, um, I find myself thinking about those, those moments and those days on, on many occasions. It's, it's, it, it's less frequent now than it was, you know, 10 years ago, but, but it, yeah, it still happens. Now, 20 years on, after the petty grievances, the outsized vanities, the rank embarrassment and the soul-crushing, future-defining big what-ifs of those days are pretty much burnt away. What remains? For almost everyone I spoke with, it's the game of soccer in the US. The fight for respect, for legitimacy and belonging, both within the United States and externally in the eyes of the world. More than anything, 1998 was supposed to be the year that this group of guys playing this game finally won over the great uncaring American audience to establish the game they loved, soccer, long derided in the United States, as a truly major league sport. And they blew it. We could be mercenary about this and say, well, they lost, you know, the commercials. They lost the Wheaties boxes. They did. They certainly lost all that, but they also lost their pride. ESPN reporter Jeremy Schapp. I mean, they were a proud bunch of guys. These guys, you know, it's a big country. They were the best we had to offer, pretty much. And they were terrible. And they didn't just lose. They lost to Iran. And they finished last in the tournament. Uh, 32nd out of 32nd. That's not what Americans do. That's not what we're accustomed to. We don't lose like that. And the ramifications for soccer. As we found out, you don't even get these chances every four years. And when you get them, you have to take advantage, uh, especially in a culture in which they're not paying attention the rest of the time, the way they are during that month. And by going out in ignominious fashion, humiliating fashion. I think this is in some ways usually too strong a word to apply to sports, but this was disgraceful fashion. Uh, they hurt soccer. So the damage to the profile of the game, like you had people watching who were like... So, I, they, they I were put that damage in excess of a billion dollars. It's Hank Steinbrecher again. How long did it take you to get over 1998, by the way? Oh, well, I'm not over it. I'm not over it. That was uh, the lowest point of my career. I'm not over it. You live with that. <laughs>
what mistakes did I make that affected that game? Uh, some people may not care as much as I did, but I care. Uh, and we failed. And I, I don't like the failure, even though I know that we can go on. But it also means that the USA could win the World Cup on this next kick. Chastain will take it. And nobody ever says this out loud, but I'm going to. Not until Brandy Chastain saved it in 1999 did we have a good feeling about the sport. But the boys had blown it. We had really lost a lot of respect from, from the world and internally. In 1999, the US women's national team, they exploded into America's consciousness. One year after America's most dismal failure, soccer once again was breakfast table conversation across America because players like Brandy Chastain and Mia Hamm, they were plastered all over our Wheaties boxes. So yeah, while it's dark that the US men failed to even qualify for the 2018 World Cup, worry not. The US women will, please God, once again redeem us at the 2019 World Cup. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Because America, you've got to face it. Soccer's here. It's in your heart. The honest truth is, I can watch more soccer in the US than I ever could when I first arrived. Remember, back then, I could only hear a big game in England by having my dad to hold up the phone to his own television back in Liverpool. Now... I can watch the action from dozens of leagues, from major to obscure, and scream at them at my own television in my own home at New York City. And I'm not alone. 72,000 people packed a stadium in Atlanta this season to set an MLS single-game attendance record. And you know who set the two previous attendance records? Atlanta. Yes, Atlanta, people. The video game EA Sports FIFA... It's become more than just a best-selling video game. It's a tool that's introduced a generation of Americans to the teams and the stars that play the game. Proof? Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, they now regularly poll in the top 10 when Americans are asked to name their favourite sports stars, outstripping most of their NFL, Major League Baseball and NBA counterparts. Soccer is now everywhere in America. Whether you like it or not, your country is a soccer country. But for your men's national team, there's still one thing missing. Go for it. We're Americans. I can. Let's climb Everest. Let's go to the moon. Let's cure cancer. Go for it. Let's win a World Cup. Let's win a World Cup. American Fiasco is a production of WNYC Studios. Our team includes Joel Meyer, Emily Botin, Paula Schumann, Derek John, Starley Kine, Keegan Zemma, Ernie Intradat, Eliza Lambert, Jameson York, Daniel Guimet, Matt Boynton, Jonathan Williamson, Brad Feldman, B. Aldrich, Jeremy Bloom, Isaac Jones, and Sarah Sandbach. Joe Plourd is our technical director. Hannes Brown composed our original music. 
Our theme music is by Big Red Machine, the collaboration between Aaron Desner of The National and Justin Vernon of Bon Iver. This episode included audio from ESPN. For more about this story, including a timeline and more, go to fiascopodcast.com. Steve Sampson, thank you for your time. Thank you. Oh, it's Rog. Before you go, I want to ask you a favour. I know you're doing me favours all of the time. I know how that feels, but this one, it's quite important. If you have loved the American fiasco story, please tell your friends. It's the only tried and true way to make a pod like this one get heard. Get out there, into the world. Please tell your friend who loves soccer or who's just getting into football because of the World Cup and is about to fall head over heels in love with the sport. Or that friend of yours who just lives for disaster stories. Could all be the same person to be candid, but tell them, tell them about American Fiasco. And I, Roger Bennett, will forever be in your debt. Again, courage.